Um, Mike Novogratz said the truly revolutionary thing Satoshi, the founder of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. uh, created is private property on the internet. And then he said, right. private property is the foundation of capitalism. So this is changing capitalism on the internet. And the Googles and the Facebooks should be very afraid because it's essentially kind of a, a redistribution of power, if you will. Bogdan, Brian, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. Nothing discussed today should be relied on for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Safari podcast, where we prowl in the DeFi darkness, searching, stalking, and staking the tokens that will earn you those delicious yields. Mm. As always, my name is Bogdan, and I have Brian here with me. How's it going, Brian? It's going a lot better now, I'll tell you that. It's been a while since we've done a podcast, and uh, you know we were both a little bit under the uh, COVID weather, but we were. we're back on top now. We're recording again, so it feels good to get back into the, uh, the saddle, the crypto saddle. Yeah, yeah, a lot has happened too. So while we were away for a little while, Brian and I went to Consensus, the big crypto conference in Austin. But then when we got back from Consensus, we both got COVID. So we have been a little bit slow. Hopefully, we will be able to speak to you, our listeners today. But maybe we'll say some silly stuff. We'll see. I hope so. Um, but yeah, Consensus was really fun. What, what did you think? What were your general impressions of it? Yeah, you know, it was my first uh, crypto conference. So I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations going in. It was more just like, okay, let's just see what this thing is all about. I was, you know, first of all, impressed by Austin. Mm. Really beautiful city. Uh, it was really hot, as you remember. Yeah, 105. So, yeah, above 100 every day, which was pretty crazy. And in, you know, we live in California. We get some warm days out here. But at the end of, at, at the, end of the day, when it starts to get a little bit dark out, the temperature usually drops pretty good. Out there, it was like 90 degrees at like midnight. Yeah, yeah, here, hot, here hot. when it gets to 90 degrees, we have heat advisory warnings like stay inside. It's yeah. 90. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, oh, put a coat on when it when it turns seven or eight o'clock at night. So, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it, it was a, it was a really fun time. Uh, I, I had a blast. Yeah. And you know it. You were there. You saw me blasting it. <laughs> yeah, we, we saw you blasting away. Um, what were some of the sessions that you were intrigued by? I know that I have a few that like kind of stood out to me and I was like, ooh, like this is really like insightful, but I also, a lot of stuff was unexpected. So for example, there was one session that was with uh, Wally Adeyamo, who hmm. is actually the deputy, deputy secretary of the treasury for the US. Um, and he said, everyone attended this talk because obviously when the deputy, deputy secretary of the treasury <laughs> speaks about crypto, you want to hear what He's saying how he's thinking. Um, and he said that we need to regulate crypto to protect consumers, and that should be their main goal. But he also said we need to make sure that we still allow responsible players to innovate. So I thought that was like mm. a really nice balanced outlook of, of how to look at crypto. 
Yeah, you know, that was definitely uh, a topic of conversation during the conference, especially because we had the, uh, you know, that bipartisan bill uh, being proposed uh, in Congress uh, regarding crypto. And of course, this has been something that's been everybody's minds ever since, you know, Biden started talking about uh, his uh, plan to look into regulating crypto. And so, and everybody wants to know what it's going to look like in the future. It does have an effect on on the decisions we make and on the markets as a whole. So, uh, you know, I think it's really great to have people from that side of the government bringing some clarity and um, providing some sense of confidence, maybe not confidence, but at least, um, you know, an idea of what the, the regulation is going to look like and what their thoughts are and some vision into that, which I think helps just so we're not just out there speculating about what what's going to happen. Yeah. And so I thought that was uh, pretty key and I'm glad that they showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Any other uh, sessions that caught your eye? Yeah. You know, I, I liked the session we um, we went to, you know, I forgot the guy's name. It was the NFT talk where he was talking about uh, generative art. Mm. And it was the, uh, you, know, you know, the guy, help me out. The he, guy? The, with the talk we went to, it was, uh, he has that site. Art blocks. Art blocks. Thank you. Art blocks. Yes. That is Eric Calderon. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I liked his talk a lot. I liked what he was talking about with the generative art and that being applied to um, basically um, printing in, in a manufacturing sense where like he made a good analogy where he said, like, why would you get, you know, one business card printed the same a thousand times and you can actually generate different um, prints that are unique in the same way at the same cost, which I thought was really interesting. I took some good notes on that, just thinking about the applications of what it meant to produce something in a kind of a print format, but also have it be uniquely different every time you print it without having to change like a screen print or a stencil or a die or something like that. And so I thought that was really cool. And I think there's a lot of interesting applications. And he made another um, reference to like, what if you're making clothes? And instead of having one leopard print the same for everybody, every print of leopard is a little bit different a little bit unique yeah and so I, th I thought that was really cool in terms of like oh wow this is a whole different I, different way this technology could go yeah and so i like that talk a lot um also the talk we had with the guys who have the hedge funds who have been investing in bitcoin for like the last like 10 years uh mm -hmm. they're on the main main stage uh, Sorry, guys, forgot the names again, but those guys are really fun to listen to. They had a very interesting perspective because they've been investing in crypto for a long time. And so it's nice to listen to people who um, are familiar with the industry and just, you know, have some experience. Yeah, you might be thinking of the same guys that I'm thinking of. Um, so one of them that stood out to me is Dan Moorhead. He's the CEO mm -hmm. of Pantera Capital. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. And then uh, alongside him was Mike Novogratz, who's the CEO of Galaxy Digital. Yep. And I actually grabbed the quote. I wrote this down because I thought it was really insightful. Um, Mike Novogratz said, the truly revolutionary thing Satoshi, the founder of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. uh, created is private property on the Internet. And then he said, right. private property is the foundation of capitalism. So this is changing capitalism on the Internet. And the Googles and the Facebooks should be very afraid because it's essentially kind of a, a redistribution of power, if you will. Yeah, and that's a really good quote. And I do remember him saying that. And it definitely resonated because, you know, we talk about the Web3 revolution and it is about owner of your digital life in a lot of ways. And, and so I think that's really a 
you know, poignant uh, way to look at it because it is true that uh, property ownership is the foundation of capitalism. You know, there were, for a long time, you know, you, people didn't own property. You basically worked the, the land, you're a serf and the noble owned it and you just worked and you could never really get ahead because you'd never had any ownership. And so once they started changing those laws, you saw the economic revolution in places like England. And so, yeah, it's very true and, and uh, very cool. You know what I'm hoping though? And, and one of my concerns is, Yes, this is democratizing ownership in the digital world, but honestly, a lot of people I know are still so skeptical of it that I'm afraid that a lot of people won't take advantage of the ownership that is the Bitcoin, the Ethereum, right? Like these blue chip tokens, and they're going to get scooped up by all of these kind of like hedge funds, you know, the people who are already rich, and maybe they will own all of the property in this digital future. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good point. I mean, you can definitely see that effect with Bitcoin um, in terms of who's holding it and who's selling it. Not a lot of people are selling their Bitcoin, but a lot of people are just kind of holding on to it. And you look at companies like MicroStrategy that hold a lot of Bitcoin. And there was some talks, and I'm not sure if you remember, they were talking about Lido Dow a lot during the conference because they were own, they own a lot of Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And they were basically using that to stake on other platforms and draw income. And so there were a lot of people who were a little bit concerned about that. Um, there was a, a talk and I, I, <laughs> there was a little bit of um, a little bit of contention back and forth between uh, the, the moderator and the people from Lido and talking about Ethereum. And you could tell that it was a kind of, it was a, it was a, a touchy subject. Yeah, and yeah. so I think, you know, when you talk about you know, this whole thing and the Web3 being decentralized, consolidation definitely is something to be concerned about in certain areas. Yeah. And for listeners who aren't familiar, uh, Lido is uh, L-I-D-O. And basically they have a bunch of Ethereum, which they stake, which gets them paid in more Ethereum. And so their position just keeps kind of like growing on itself and they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger in terms of the amount of Ethereum that they own. Yeah, but Ethereum is a different animal than Bitcoin because it's technically there's no limit on supply for Ethereum. So I think, you know, the consolidation of Bitcoin, I mean, yes, it's, I guess it's more of an asset. So it's not really going to have a large effect on, you know, networks and DeFi and stuff like that, the same as like Ethereum. but um, I do think it's a little bit different just because of the the way the tokenomics work. Yeah, tokenomics. Tokenomics, friend. But uh, yeah, you know, honestly, after I got home, I actually bought some Lido Dao um, just yeah. because everybody was talking about it, you know, good or bad. I'm like, well, if everybody's talking about it, I might want to own a little bit. How how can you purchase Lido Dao? Like, what what exactly are you purchasing? Um, you're purchasing their their governance token. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. What's the name of it? Is it just? Lido? Um, I think it's just Lido. Let me take a look real quick. Let's see. Yeah, because that would be, I mean, if they are going to be a big controlling player in the space, it would be worthwhile to at least have, you know, just just a toe in that pool. That was my thoughts exactly. Uh, it just says Lido. Oh, LDO is a token. LDO. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I bought it on Kraken. I started using Kraken a little bit these uh, last few months. Really liking their platform. It's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool app. Good UI, good UX, and they have a lot of different uh, tokens you can buy. Kraken has a ton of tokens. Yeah, like the ton. diversity there is awesome. I'm, I'm really loving it. And you can connect your Apple Pay, and I just find a token. Oh, do you want to use Apple Pay? Click, click. 
scan the face, boom, it's in my wallet. <laughs> scan the face, get a little blood sample, fingerprint. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, hey, by the way, you know, we were, we've been dealing with some pretty, pretty low points in the market, uh, you know, these last well, since the beginning of the year. Things are starting to turn around. Have you noticed a little bit of pump going on in some of the altcoins? I have noticed a little pump. So I, I'm keeping my eye on on Solana and I know that it's gone up to $35, $36, um, which is pretty good. I still believe, and this is based on what I heard at consensus from like very smart people and then also listening to a bunch of podcasts from uh big investors i think the crash is going to keep going so i have actually not been purchasing anything mm. well i know how you like to try to catch the falling knife is i'm more of the dollar cost average guy so i'm, I'm gonna keep putting money in every week and just see what happens Honestly, I think both strategies work. Like I don't, yeah. I think it's really luck of the draw of which strategy pans out better. You know, there are people who say dollar cost averaging is, you know, the safer, sure bet. And it's like, okay, but what if I don't want to make a sure bet? What if I want to make that <laughs> dangerous bet? <laughs> hey, I, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that one. I like to live by and fly by the seat of my pants. Uh, oh, yeah. Polygon, by the way, is up 50% this week, by the way. Ooh, I did not know. Yeah, I've been buying Polygon lately. Oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah, uh, what yeah. is causing the pumps? Do you know? Uh, you know, it's a good question. Um, you know, usually the markets are a, f like a few months ahead of any type of economic news such as coming from the Fed regarding interest rates. And so, you know, I think they're starting to realize um, or understand what the next few months after this point in time is going to look like. And maybe there's a rosy future. Also, maybe people just buying the dip in a lot of cases. I mean, everything is really undervalued right now. I think if anything, it's that these yeah. dips have cleared out a lot of people who probably shouldn't have invested in the market in some of these projects. And so once those people get out, other people rush in because they see this and they're like, there's nothing wrong with these projects and these tokens. It's just people are panicking right now. So yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. But, you know, going back to consensus, I think it's important to, um, you know, talk about some of the numbers. And I, I found some information um, on the interweb. And so I think one of the numbers that popped out is 17,000 people attended consensus this year. Oh, wow. That's more than I thought. Yeah. And 2018 in New York, guess how many people attended? Pre-pandemic. 10,000. Close. 9,000. Ah, okay. So, so almost double. Almost doubled which is pretty awesome. Um, and so let's see over 400 talks. Yep. It was very, it was very talk heavy in terms a lot of, of talking like 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Like everyone had 20. I wish that they had talks that were like half an hour to an hour. Yeah. As opposed to all these like quick hits where it's like crypto is important. And it's like, okay, next talk. Like you're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was a lot of like short little talk. It was hard to see everything and, and it hard to listen because there's just so much content. And after a while, like you can't, you can't really process it. Yeah. And, you know, like we talked about this after the first talk, a lot of it is marketing built around an idea yeah. or a concept that people might want to hear about. So there is that. Um, and as you mentioned, 100 degree days, that's a big number. And there was over 100 after parties in Austin oh, wow. this year. And we attended, I think, uh, at least 90 of them. We, we attended like <laughs> one. We attended the main party. We didn't even get to all the after parties. Actually, uh, fun no, we, little... Yeah, thing that I uh, wanted to go to, but I just did not have the energy or time to go to was um, one of my NFT groups was actually hosting a private party uh, called Thor Guards. And I was like, Oh, I want to go to that. But like, there's there was so much to do that. Yeah, I can go to it. And but that what I would have 
really enjoyed like showing my NFT and getting into a party. Like that would have been so cool. <laughs> so that's why you buy. That's why you play. That's exactly. Why you train. Exactly. But I, I was drained. For anyone who's curious about, you know, the these conferences are expensive. And I'm sure a question that is on most listeners' uh, minds is, you know, is it worth it to pay all this money to go to this these crypto conferences? And I would say if you're pay- the tickets were eight hundred were I think seven hundred dollars at the cheapest and then up to a thousand dollars. And that doesn't even get you into everything. And honestly, if I were just a consumer and not didn't have media passes or anything like that going on, I don't think I would have found it to be worthwhile. So I would have enjoyed maybe to go to Austin itself during that time, maybe go to like some small mixers or something. But I don't know if I'd find the actual conference a thousand dollars worth the price tag. What do you think? I 100% agree. And I thought about that, you know, as I was flying out on Saturday, leaving a day early, I was like, you know, it was fun, but I wouldn't pay $1,000 for a ticket. Uh, and for a lot of reasons, one, because you can still, like you said, you can still go to the city at the same time of the conference and get to experience a lot of the stuff that's outside of the, you know, past required talks. Mm-hmm. Also, number two, a lot of it, you can attend virtually. Yeah. So there's that. And number three, it's just, there's only so much you can really do and take in, you know, and if you have like, I don't know. Yeah. If, if you have like a project, maybe you're a developer and you really want to like push something, I, I guess, I guess he's spending some money, but yeah. Yeah. If I were an individual person, I would probably go to Austin around that same time, look on Twitter and stuff like that, and just go to some of the after parties. And I bet you, you could get in for free or marginal cost. Yeah, there's always a, there's always a backdoor to everything. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, should we jump into the news here? There's quite a lot of stuff that has happened over the last. Yeah. Year. Um, I can, if you want, I can kick us off with something that was interesting to me um, regarding Solana. Oh, you hear about the Solana upgrade? Uh, yes and no. Go, <laughs> but you, I, I hear a lot of things about Solana lately. Why don't you Why don't you kick it off? Sure. So uh, as I'm sure you know, and as as you keep telling me, Solana keeps crashing, keeps having problems. I think there was like eight crashes uh, or outages or something like that. I forget. There, it, 11 it, since the beginning of the year. There you go. 11. So there, there have been quite a few crashes and, and bugs and problems. But like I said in our last podcast, Solana is backed by Google, mm-hmm. uh, Google Ventures. And so I have confidence that they'll figure out all the technical difficulties. So this is one way that they're figuring it out. Um, There was a big Solana upgrade, uh, actually three new Solana upgrades. Um, The first is to help mitigate the impact of very in-demand apps that are working, that run on the service. Mm. So they created this thing called the fee prioritization approach. And that will basically increase fees for specific decentralized apps when they are in high demand. So when an app starts, uh, you know, having really high demand, only that app will get higher fees. It's not going to cause higher Mm -hmm. fees on the entire Solana network, Mm -hmm. which is one of the problems. And I think that's a really clever thing. It's like, if you're doing a bunch of transactions, like you should be paying higher fees. Don't make everyone on the Solana network pay higher fees just because of you. Yeah, I think that's a really cool idea. And, um, you know, in, in economics, they call those externalities where a cost is spread 
throughout people who aren't actually using the product or the service. And that's always a, a cause of inefficiency. And so and that's really smart. And, and, you know, I think, you know, we talk about Solana a lot. They've had a lot of problems. And, you know, we talk about leadership and everything. And either you have confidence they're going to solve these problems or, or you don't. And at the end of the day, I have confidence they're going to they're going to make it work. Yeah. And, and yeah. so that's why I, I'm still an, an investor and I still like the project. Yeah, yeah, same here. Um, so that's upgrade number one. The second one is they actually integrated, I don't know what this actually is, but it's called Google's Quick Protocol. And that will increase network speed and also allow the network to throttle bots. So remember when there were all those bots that were going on the Solana network? Um, this is a solution for that. And then the third upgrade uh, throttles network traffic depending on how much Solana is staked. So if you stake more Solana, you get priority access over people who don't stake Solana. I like it. Yeah. So I'm going to buy more. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for us? You know, for me, I was thinking about the regulation and the bipartisan bill a lot since the crypto conference. And so I guess we could kind of talk a little bit about what that's going to look like for people who don't know. And so the... There's a couple of different senators, maybe they're Congress people. Anyway, the two bipartisan Congress people, senators, whatever, uh, they proposed a bill and it's going to work like this. This is their idea that there's going to be uh, two types of crypto commodities and securities. Mm. So, for example, Bitcoin would be considered a commodity, Ethereum, more like a security. So either like a, kind of like a stock rather than something like gold. Right. Okay. And so the way it's going to work is the uh, CEA, which is the commodities regulation, you know, department, they're going to handle that. The SEC is going to handle securities and they're all going to fall under the IRS regulations. And so that's pretty much how it's going to shake down. Well, that's the proposal, which I think is a really smart way to look at it. I don't mind that distinction between the two. And I think it makes sense. And I think that in order to protect the consumer, there needs to be some regulation. Otherwise, it's going to be just uh, out of control and people are going to lose a lot of money. And that's already happening. I mean, we see, saw what happened to Terra Luna. Um, I don't know if you've been reading about Celsius and what's going on with them lately. I have. Yeah. So I, I don't yeah. fully understand Celsius, but what I, from what I understand, they basically are defaulting on their loans. Is that right? Yeah, a little bit. And I, I still need to learn a little bit more about it. So for people who don't know, Celsius is basically, it was a staking platform. And so you take your whatever tokens you have, throw it on there, you stake it, and you get pretty high returns. I mean, we're talking 15, 20% at times, maybe more. And so what happened is they had some issues. I think it had to, to do with liquidity, like all these issues do. And they basically locked people out of their accounts. Oof. Never and that, that was the big that was the big problem is you were like this, they're having this huge problem prices are crashing and you can't get in and you can't sell you can't take your crypto out and so that was that was an issue obviously for a lot of people yeah yeah that's um yeah that that's actually similar to another piece of news that i have here which is about three arrows capital so if you noticed when we're covering different crypto tokens on this podcast a lot of times when we get to the investor portion of the token, I'm like, oh, and Three Arrows Capital is a big investor mm -hmm. in them. Mm -hmm. And I kept saying, you know, they're a, they're a big, you know, I think hedge funds would be kind of the right word to describe them. They're a really big company out of Southeast Asia that invests in crypto in the billions of dollars worth. And they recently actually started defaulting on their loans. So they got affected a lot by the Luna crash. And- mm -hmm. 
allegedly had anywhere between 200 million to 450 million dollars in Luna. So when Luna collapsed to zero, that really hurt them. And right now they have an estimated $600 million in outstanding loans that are all being uh, kind of called for, right? Like to repay. And so they're, they're basically, they could go out of business completely. Wow. Really? Yeah. So all of these, all of these cryptocurrencies that I was like, you know, and three arrows capital is a big backer. That's a good sign. Now that turns into a negative sign. It's like, oh, <laughs> that, that means they might lose their money. Yeah. How quick the forces change. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it is interesting to see what happens uh, when you have this type of uh, drop in, in the market, especially with like you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, who are usually pretty stable and might see a little bit of a hit. But I mean, I, I was watching the, you know, watching the charts and there was a moment where Bitcoin or sorry, Ethereum was trading for under a thousand dollars. Wow. And, yeah. And I was like, well, I'm time to buy some of that, you know, but, you know, if you think about that in terms of these other, you know, staking platforms and their business model, they're not set up <laughs> for, for that type of, uh, you know, drop in prices. And, you know, Warren Buffett had a really interesting, a really, really funny saying, actually, uh, you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And yeah. I think we're seeing that happen a lot in these platforms where people were staking their crypto and getting these crazy returns, which obviously it's a sign, you know, if it's too good to be true, then there's obviously, you know, yeah. something going on there. And I think we're seeing the repercussions of, you know, what these uh, platforms are doing to try to attract customers, which is yeah. promising things they, they couldn't keep in, in a down market. Yeah. And I think the lesson here isn't, you know, don't invest in anything. It's dangerous. It'll go to zero, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. It's just when you get your gains and I need to get better at this myself, when you get your gains of like something silly, right? Like 30% return or 50% or 200% returns, like cash out some of it so that when these things happen, where things collapse, you're not freaking out that you lost everything, right? Say, oh yeah, I made, I made good money on that. Like I didn't make all the money on it, but I made good money on it. You got to know when to take profits, which is the, one of the hardest things uh, to do when investing. Yeah. And yeah, a lot yeah. of people, that's where a lot of people fail. But I mean, also, I think it's, it, it's really important to take a look at the fine print when you know, platforms are offering these crazy high returns for staking your crypto and understanding that basic economics <laughs> you know, aren't, don't support this business model for the long term. And so if you're going to stake, you know, know what you're doing, know the platform, and also don't throw it all on one platform. If you're going to you know, spread it around or stake a little bit here, and it just kind of know what you're getting into. And I think, you know, people who were involved in Luna lost a lot of money because people were taking all of their savings and dumping into this platform because they're like, oh, I'm getting 20%. Like, why would I not do that? Why would I not put all my money here? And I, the reason why is because if you look at the math and you do the math and you, it's not going to last. You don't even have to do the math. Like that's yeah. just un, an unreasonable return. The thing is, you can get reasonable returns in relatively safe ways. So I am a big proponent of BlockFi. And actually, I have a bit of news regarding BlockFi uh, and FTX. So two companies that that I I really like. Um, FTX, the CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, has actually stepped in to bail out several companies during the downturn and the market crash. 
And one of those companies is actually BlockFi. So FTX loaned $250 million in revolving credit to BlockFi, which is pretty cool. Um, like one, crypt one crypto juggernaut helping out another crypto juggernaut. Um, but the reason that I like BlockFi is they are not in the same category as Three Arrows Capital, like about to go bankrupt. Oh God, everything's being called back. Like they are very safe and steady with their lending practices. So they literally $250 million. That seems like a lot, but that doesn't even cover half of Three Arrows Capital's, you know, outstanding loan. So um, yeah, it, it's good to do business with people who are safer and still give you good returns because BlockFi still gives you eight or 9% returns. Like that's great. If, if you had signed up uh, a while ago, I think we talked about this. They're not taking new customers for their, for their staking anymore. Well, uh, until they reset it. So right. they, they will open it back up, but for now it's only people who were customers to begin with. So you know what, Brian? This is why you should listen to the podcast every week because we bring you the stuff before the stuff is out of, you know, availability. <laughs> we see around corners. We do. We do. Yes. And through lead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Long story short, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. There's no free lunch. It's a famous uh, saying in economics. And yeah, know, know where your bread's getting buttered, I guess. Would you agree? <laughs> yes. Yes. Speaking of bread being buttered, Let's jump into our crypto tokens because mine has to do with bread being buttered. Uh, um, uh, toast. Ah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh -huh. so we will skip listener questions this week, you guys, because we wanted to cover a little bit of our impressions from consensus, but we will pick up listener questions next week. So if you guys have them, feel free to write to us at questions at cryptosafari.us and we will answer them on the next podcast. But let's jump into our two tokens for this week. Uh, before we do, let's recap our system for evaluating any token, which is PTAC plus T. That stands for purpose. So what is the purpose of this cryptocurrency? Team, who are the founders? Who are the investors behind it? Advantage, what is its unique advantage compared to other cryptocurrencies? And community, what is the community like in terms of both users and developers? And then our last one, which is plus T, that is for tokenomics. So with that, would you like to kick us off, Brian, since I kicked us off last week? You know, you've been saying that every week, and I'm finally <laughs> catching on that it's always my turn to go first. So you know what? Hey, why, why break tradition? Yes, let's kick it off. So <laughs> my uh, token this week is called Harmony. Ooh, Okay. I'm excited. Didn't see that coming, did you? I'm excited for Harmony because I've heard good things, but I yeah. know nothing about it. You know, we, I've, I've heard good things as well. Uh, me and you went to a networking event sponsored by Harmony. They are uh, San Francisco-based, Bay Area, which where, where we live. And also during the conference, we spoke to some people uh, from a game called DeFi Kingdoms that was on the Harmony network. Yes. And hopefully we can get them on the show because it seems like a really cool game. They have a lot of different, they have a lot of active players. And so we've made some good connections with them. Hopefully we'll get them on here to, to talk about the game. So yeah, I want to do Harmony just because it's been popping up and floating around. So why don't we jump into it? 
So for people who don't know, Harmony is a blockchain platform designed to help the creation and use of decentralized apps. Nice. Sounds familiar. Yes. Right. So for like most projects we covered, especially the um, layer one, layer two solutions, uh, they were all developed because Ethereum uh, wasn't really getting a job done. And they were looking for ways to increase scalability, speed, but also maintain security and all those other things you want out of your blockchain. And so that's where Harmony came into existence. And it's basically its goal is to change the way that decentralized applications operate by focusing on random state sharding. Ah, ah I know. We'll get into that which allows the creation of, of block, new blockchains in seconds. So, and we've, we've heard some different terms and I think it's really important to understand these and not to get too technical, but they are really important. So we talked about, you know, ZK syncs and now we've talked a little bit about sharding, but I think it's important to kind of explain it. Yes. So sharding with the D, not sharding, sharding is a scalability method that breaks up data into smaller chunks chunks called shards. These shards are then separated on different machines. So it's basically, it's a, it's a data um, uh, handling technique, not just, not just new to crypto. And so what this does, it makes data easier to store and to find. And so why this matters for blockchains is currently, you know, every node has to store all the information on the blockchain locally and process all transactions which causes things to be really slow and really holds back scalability because there's an exponential growth in the number of blockchains that are created. So what this does, it provides security, uh, but also you know, scalability by doing the shards. It divides the blockchain data amongst nodes and lets them process transactions at the same time. Nice. You take a chunk of data, split it up, Separate it to different nodes, and they all trans and they all validate the transactions and create blockchains. Yeah, it's kind of like splitting up the work on your school project between everybody in the class instead of the one kid doing all the work. Well, yeah, but you still want to give all the work to the smartest kid, and you give at least to to the slowest kid. That's true. So <laughs> it is about allocation too. So th that's the purpose, and we'll get into more about how that what that means for uh, them in terms of advantage. But let's talk about the team. So the founder and CEO is a guy named Stephen Say, T-S-E, I probably butchered that, but he's got a PhD specializing in cryptographic protocols and type theory. Mm. Very smart Same guy. Same as my PhD. There you go. You guys have a lot in common. You probably went to your alma mater. Uh, he founded a company called Spotsetter in 2011, which was a search engine that Apple acquired in 2014. Mm. Right. So ended up working for Apple for a while. Um, a, a principal developer, I think was his title. And he founded Harmony in 2017 with seven other former Google, Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon employees. Nice. I mean, that's a super solid team then. Yeah, super solid team. Uh, he's got the background. He understands uh, cryptographics and all that great stuff that you'd want in a team leader. And so when you talk about their advantage, it does have a lot to do with speed. Um, one of the things they have going for them is they have a two-second transaction finality. That's fast. Very fast. Yeah, blazing. Uh, they have it's a hundred times lower fees than um, Ethereum. Can you can you explain what time to finality is real quick for those who aren't familiar? 
Yeah, it's basically the time for a, a transaction or operation to be validated and approved and committed to the blockchain blockchain and never changed again. Yeah. And for reference, Bitcoin's time to finality, I forget what it is. It's like five or 10 minutes, something like really, <laughs> yeah. really, really long. Yeah. Yeah. It has to do with how long it takes to validate a, con- a, a transaction. Yeah. Yep. And so another thing they have going for them that gives them an advantage is they have secure bridges that allows cross-chain transfers with ETH, Binance, and three other chains. Nice. So you're not, you're not stuck on one chain. Interoperability was something we talked about earlier this year, and they're basically allowing that to happen and connect people with any proof of work or proof of stake chain, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Uh, and they have something else that they call random sharding that provides security against single shard attacks. Ah, okay. So and, yes, that's like a security thing where I'm guessing you can't just attack one of the shards and yeah, exactly. Yeah. So once you randomize how these shards are distributed, no one can follow that, um, process of information going from one node to the other and Mm -hmm. so if it's all over the place at once and you can't you know you're not as susceptible for these type of attacks so apparently there's been a lot of single shard attacks even by breaking up the data people are still finding a way to you know access it for nefarious reasons Mm -hmm. so that's that's another factor but we have to be 100 transparent on our show and i found this out as i was doing research uh, recently, uh, they had 100 million stolen from the Harmony Horizon Bridge oh, from an exploit. This happened like less than 24 hours ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> very recent hack. Yeah, very recent. So, you know, you, you talk about all these steps that uh, these developers do to protect people. And apparently there's still, uh, still issues. And I have been hearing more about these uh, cross-train bridges and how they're susceptible to these type of attacks. And that's where I'm going to say it: zk sync and the rollups kind of sidestep those. Dude, those you uh, love, you love. I love it. I love it. Rollups. Well, that's that's why people think they're the future. It's going to become a drinking game on this podcast, where people are always going to take a, a sip of wine every time Brian says zk rollups. I already do. So, yeah, <laughs> I've already won that game. But uh, anyway, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, they also have something that they do called block proposal pipelining, and it lets blocks be validated before other blocks are completed. Mm. So imagine you're at a checkout and you're trying to finish up your transaction before it finishes up. Someone else can come in and say, Hey, wait a minute. I want to buy these bananas really quick while you're tallying up this guy's, um, you know, 20 cans of tomato soup. Mm. So they have that. It also increases speed. They also use something called zero knowledge proofs which add an extra layer of privacy. Mm, Nice. Yeah. I have tried to learn about zero knowledge proofs. I understood it for a microsecond and then I got confused again. It's, it it is very confusing and I'll try to break it down in a very simple way. And so zero knowledge proofs, well, let me take a step back. So one of the issues that has to do with um, institutional blockchain adoption is the fact that there's not a lot of privacy. You know, everything's public. It's all on that ledger. You can see everything. And so so for some institutions, not such a good idea. So zero um, knowledge proofs allows uh, things to be validated without having to to divulge the information that you're trying to keep secret. 
Yeah. So okay, that's not very good explanation. The way so, the way yeah. that I try to explain it, and let me know if this actually makes sure. sense. It allows me to know that Brian lives in this house without me needing to go inside of Brian's house and go looking for him, right? Like I, it allows me to know like that's Brian's house. I know without me needing to actually like go inside and look through all your crap. Yeah, that's pretty close. And I, I think there's another way to think about it too is let's say I have a secret. Mm -hmm. And to, for you to know that I'm who I say I am, I'm the only person who knows the secret. But I don't want to tell you the secret because all of a sudden it's not a secret anymore. Yep. The zero knowledge proof allows me to someone else to confirm that I'm who I say I am, that I have the secret out having divulged what that secret is. It's almost like in the movies, you know, when the guy like knocks on the door in the alleyway and the guy like opens the little slit and then he, he says like a, a secret phrase. He's like, you know, zero knowledge proofs. And the guy's like, OK, come on in. Yeah. Like, oh, you're legit. Yeah. It's a um, password for your password. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and it, it definitely gets a lot more complicated, but that's, that's, you know, high level kind of, yeah. you know, close to what we're, we're dealing with here. So that's another thing they do uh, that helps them, uh, you know, increase privacy. And if you think about privacy being an impediment to a large scale institutional adoption, that could be a really big deal for uh, this blockchain. Mm -hmm. uh, also one of the advantages they have, they have something called game shard, and this is just a, a network and a validation that's set up for gaming. And we talked about uh, DeFi Kingdom. They have 30,000 um, daily active users in March. I think it's down a little bit today, but they're able to handle all of these transactions and they just focus that part of their network on gaming. So obviously it's going to attract more gaming developers. Uh, and so, yeah, besides the $100 million uh, recent uh, theft, they're looking pretty good <laughs> and uh, we'll hope they can figure that out. So as far as the community goes, I couldn't find a ton of information. They do have something called Harmony Grants that provide support to attracts developers to their mainnet. Uh, they also have a community forum and they have user um, sponsored events that they basically allow people to set up. Um, there's been 15 in June alone. So the community is a big part. I couldn't get any actual bigger numbers than that. Nice. So moving on to tokenomics, they're currently ranked number 100 right on the dot. Ooh, okay. Yeah, just barely getting in the top 100. Uh, they have a market cap of uh, $315 million. Current price is $0.02. Cents. All-time high was $0.37. Cents. All-time low, 0 0.0012. And a circulating supply of 12 billion tokens. Okay. And what do you need the token for? Uh, well, the token is... It's like a governance token, like most of these projects... Okay. Other than that, uh, I don't really see a whole lot of use for it. So, for uh, example, in if I were in DeFi kingdoms in this game, I don't use the Harmony token to like do transactions in the game. It's not like that. It's more to vote on Harmony Network as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure about DeFi Kingdom. I haven't really looked too deep into that game. I'd imagine they probably have their own tokens. They might have some Harmony in there too. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, it's more of a governance token that allows you to, you know, vote on decisions made about the blockchain. Nice. Yeah. Yep. We, we should, uh, we should have DeFi kingdoms, uh, come on the podcast. If you guys are listening, write to us questions at cryptosfire.us and let's get you on the pod so you can explain things much better than me and Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'd actually, uh, met the director of marketing at, at uh, consensus. And so we'll have to get her on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, that's Harmony, and uh, their token is called One, as in 
Harmony One. Love it, love it. As in O N E, right? Yes. Okay, awesome. What do you uh, got for us? Cool. Well, I have a question for you, Brian. Do you like baking? Baking? Uh, actually, I do. You do? Are you yeah. a baker? Well, you know, I'm, I'm getting more into it. I started getting into it over COVID and it's something that I aspire to be better at. I've done some bread, done some, uh, some pizza making, and I've actually just bought a book on making pastries. And so I do want to make some really uh, flaky, buttery uh, French style pastries this year. Oh, lovely. It sounds yeah. delicious. It's delightful. Yeah. Well, if you are such an avid baker, I have a token for you because mm. if you stake this token, you are called a baker. Ooh. Yeah. I'm in. The token in question is Tezos. Have you heard of it? I have heard of Tezos. So Tezos is actually the first cryptocurrency that I ever bought something with. And it was because I wanted to buy an NFT from one of uh, these musicians that I like, Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park. And mm. the NFT project was done on the Tezos blockchain. So it was my first experience of having to buy some Tezos, put it on a wallet, go and buy something in the digital world. And I figured, let me cover it because I didn't know what Tezos is for, what its purpose is or any of that, other than I needed it to buy this NFT. But it's actually a really mm. interesting token. So the purpose of Tezos, it's a Ethereum competitor, similar to your Solanas, your Avalanches, et cetera. Um, it allows developers to build decentralized apps easily. But then their main focus, and this is kind of their secret sauce, is they want to focus on fast and easy upgradability. Hmm. So their belief is that it is so important for crypto is moving so fast. So if you actually want to survive in crypto, you need to be able to iterate on your blockchain really, really quickly. Unlike the Bitcoins and the Ethereums of the world, Bitcoin, don't get me started, takes decades to... <laughs> you know, make changes. Ethereum takes years to make changes. So Tezos, the idea is that people can upgrade the blockchain very quickly. So I'll go into the team first and then I'll jump into Advantage. So yeah. the team, uh, the white paper for Tezos was written in 2014. So long time ago by, by crypto standards. Yeah. And then it was, actually, it was actually launched in 2018. It was created by Arthur Breitman, that's B-R-E-I-T-M-A-N, and his wife, Kathleen Breitman. Hmm, the, yeah. the husband and wife duo. They are, they are, which I found, was, that's, that's pretty interesting. It's like, hey, honey, you want to start a, a cryptocurrency? <laughs> how, how did that talk go? <laughs> uh, yeah, is she also a coder or developer or she is quite accomplished in her own right uh so first um arthur he was a research engineer for google x Ooh. and waymo the uh, autonomous driving company google x is like their experimental r d uh, top secret division of google where all of the sentient chatbots live exactly it's where you you go to work and you put on your lab coat instead of your uh, flip-flops yeah, and maybe still wear flip-flops. <laughs> and you tuck your pants into your socks. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and you wear socks with sandals. You 
uniform standard it uniform. Yes, yep. it must be uh in his early career he worked as a quantitative analyst for goldman sachs and morgan stanley so i like that he has both the experience of google x waymo the tech but also understands the finance financial yeah, side of things Yes, exactly. Um, his wife, Kathleen, was senior strategy associate for R3, which is a consortium of more than 70 financial firms. So she has that financial background. Um, and she also worked at Accenture, Bridgewater Associates, and the Wall Street Journal. Okay, so they're very business-minded folks. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. pretty interesting there. Um, in terms of investors, this is interesting. They, Tezos was the largest ICO, initial coin offering, in crypto history. They raised $232 million in their That's initial the coin. history, huh? Yeah. Wow. They have some, some rich friends. Yes. Really, really impressive. They actually got in trouble with the SEC because of that, because the SEC was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> You're raising a lot of money. That's a lot of... It's a lot of cheddar. Yeah, they, they had to pay, I think it was like a $20 million settlement. And the SEC was like, all right, as long as we get a kickback, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Business as usual. Yeah. So th that's the team and the investors. Um, in terms of advantage, so like I mentioned, their, their thing is that they are super easy and quick to upgrade. So the way that Bitcoin and Ethereum are set up, it requires engineers to do a ton of work to upgrade the system. And sometimes what that leads to is something called a hard fork, which basically means like we're making such substantial changes, like we're going to need to like recreate the environment in a new environment. So that's how Bitcoin created like Bitcoin cash, Bitcoin this, Bitcoin that, all these like Mm -hmm. forks of bitcoin because Ethereum had a fork last year i think right yeah exactly so it's just it gets so messy in terms of upgrading that you need to completely fork it over into something new um tezos believes that that is not the way to do things they believe that you should have your blockchain and you should be able to just keep upgrading it as opposed to creating all these you know different forks um so mm -hmm. they have a thing which is called the self-amending blockchain Ooh. Yeah, I know. Right? Of that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, people who have staked Tezos on the blockchain can vote to amend the blockchain. And these are what are called the bakers. We're getting back to the bakers. Uh, in order to be a baker, you need 8,000 Tezos, which mm. is not crazy amounts of money. I think it's under 30 grand uh, at current prices. So these bakers basically have 23 days to vote to amend the blockchain. And if they reach consensus, which is, I believe it's over 50%, um, the entire blockchain is upgraded within 48 hours. Okay, so what kind of upgrades are we talking about here? Any kind of upgrade. <laughs> I don't know, I didn't look into the actual upgrades that they've been doing, but think of like the Ethereum merge and it you know, moving from one type to another and uh, adding the sharding capabilities and all this stuff. Um, it's those kinds of upgrades. So for example, Ethereum wants to do sharding, but that's not scheduled until 2023. They want to do roll-ups, but that's not scheduled for later on as well. In this idea of Tezos, it's like, hey, let's get these upgrades done quickly. Like let's vote on them, let's code them, let's move fast. That's kind of the idea is iterate really quickly. Okay. Now I do have a question. 
Sure. So we we listened to people talk about Ethereum and Ethereum, you know, 2.0. And they talked about all the work that goes into making these changes. Like this is years of planning. Yep. And so now we're talking about a blockchain that can accomplish that in 24 hours. Yep. How is that possible? Uh, so one uh, reason that they can make these changes so quickly is it's actually written with a different language than Ethereum. Um, so okay. that helps in terms of like the programming and stuff. I'm not a hundred percent. So the programming language is called OCaml, O-C-A-M-L. Hmm. That's the programming language. Um, I'm not sure why they're able to make changes so quickly. My guess, and this is a guess, I, I would need to research this more, is they're probably making small changes constantly so mm -hmm. rather than like something huge like bitcoin and ethereum kind of have gotten old and like they're trying to switch over to new stuff imagine if every 23 days you're making those upgrades constantly mm -hmm. you probably don't need to make a giant upgrade because you've already been improving every 23 days okay yeah that makes sense is there any uh, sacrifice on you know usability um, security anything that goes along with making these changes because you know fast changes could potentially lead to um i don't want to say mistakes but you know possible um weak points in the chain uh, I don't think so. So I have not been able to find many articles about Tezos going down. Um, I would need to research that a little bit more, but I have in, in all of my news about Tezos, I haven't come across like Tezos melts down, Tezos breaks, you know? So I yeah, think yeah. it's fairly stable considering how often that they're upgrading it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, that would be something I think if anyone's listening to this, like definitely go into Google and type in like, you know, Tezos breaks down or Tezos offline or stuff like that and search for those instances. So it's not foolproof. I'm sure that they've gone offline, but so has Solana. Yeah. So have all these other cryptocurrencies. At least Tezos is trying to prevent that by constantly iterating, which I, I like. I think that that is a better approach rather than the bitcoins of the world that never change yeah i mean absolutely i think you know we look in in you know at all these different projects and they're all built around trying to be the fastest and all of these transaction speeds and everything and it's just if you keep playing that game you know you'll spend years to get to one point all of a sudden that point is slow comparatively and so the speed of which this technology is changing and evolving is just so fast that you can't be like nimble um you know from a technological standpoint then yeah you, you you're gonna become irrelevant pretty quick so I, I like that idea yeah yeah they also try to make it so that it's very um kind of community friendly so the minimum requirement for anyone who wants to set up a tezos node meaning like run one of the the nodes on the network uh is just eight tezos which at current price is i want to say like 20 bucks <laughs> I could do that. Right. So that's pretty cool is the idea here is you have tons of nodes like you, you want it to be democratic, super, super decentralized, and then also iterate really quickly. And the cool thing about if you have a node, you don't get to be one of those bakers, right? To be a baker, you need 8,000 Tez, but you can actually take your eight Tezos and give it to 
a baker, like say like, Hey, you vote on my behalf, you be my representative. Mm. So that's pretty cool. It's like, even if you're just an individual, you can say, this is my representative. They're going to vote on my behalf, which is a pretty cool idea. Does it, well, the baker, does they get more than one vote if you're a baker? No, the, uh, I think the baker gets more votes based on the number of Tez. So if the baker mm. has 8,000 and I have eight, like I'm contributing to his 8,000, you know, with my vote. Okay. Yeah. So got it. Got it. Yeah. Pr- pretty interesting. Um, the other big thing about Tezos that really stands out to me is the NFT marketplace called Object that is spelled O B J K T. So Object with okay. spelling. It is a huge marketplace and it attracts a lot of NFT creators who want to just create NFTs for the sake of creating NFTs and uh, do so cheaply and offer them cheaply to their to people. So like you can buy an NFT on object for like $10 as opposed to on OpenSea, it's always like $500, $1,000, mm. like, you know, super mm-hmm. big commitment. Um, so that's really nice that they have that very thriving uh, NFT community. Um, and then in terms of tokenomics, so we have a 1.3 billion market cap. Ooh, pretty that's good. A hot, that's a hot market cap. It is, which means its market rank is number 39. So we're in the top 40. Top 40, nice. Okay. Uh, circulating supply of the Tezos token is 899 million, and the total supply is 920 million. So almost at total supply. Mm-hmm. The all-time high was $9. The all-time low was $0.30. Cents. And the current price is a buck fifty-five. Mm, that's a that's a that's a steal. Then is what you're saying here. Could be. I mean, I I honestly don't look at Tezos like I I would invest in it. I obviously have invested in it in the form of buying these NFTs. Um, but I I just really like what they're doing in terms of the amount of democratization mm. of the blockchain and also the NFT marketplace. That's more, you know accessible to more people you know someone can get into nfts for ten dollars like i i think that's good for the community as a whole yeah agreed yeah cool so that is tezos if you want to be a baker here's your opportunity and i do i'm gonna have to buy some <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a good um price right now i mean when i was buying tezos back in the day for my nft i think i was paying four or five dollars per tezo for tez um yeah. If you want to look at a fun little um, NFT project on Tezos, uh, look up Tezards, like lizards, but mm-hmm. Tezards. Um, their website is really, really funny. Like uh, I can't I can't use the language on this podcast because we're a family friendly podcast. Um, but yeah, Tezards.xyz is the website and it's pretty fun to. Okay. So it's only for adults. I'll, I'll leave that as like a little mystery. People can look it up. All right. Cool. Tezos. Yeah. So that's Tezos. Excellent. All right. Well, I feel like we covered a lot here, Brian. Yeah, I think we did. And, uh, you know, coming back off of the, you know, the big conference and everything else, I feel like, uh, you know, we, we, we put in the work and I, I don't feel a little fatigued. I am. I am too, actually. I feel like COVID, the funny thing about COVID is like the actual sickness part of it wasn't that bad, but my brain is still mushy. I'm still like trying to search for the words 
as they're coming out of my mouth. Yeah, I've been feeling the same way. It's just a, uh, it's, it, it dumbs you down a little bit. And, and we were pretty dumb to start with. So I, I'm, I'm concerned. That's my worry too. Uh, I'm gonna have to take another IQ test, maybe get some, some disability or some sort of government <laughs> assistance post COVID to, you uh, should get a like disability placard to park in disabled <laughs> parking spaces. And then when they're like, what's your disability? You're like, I'm just really slow guys. Yeah. I just, <laughs> that I, COVID. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. But uh, no, it's going to be back. And uh, yeah, I think we, we covered quite a good, good amount of good stuff and looking forward to coming back next week, stronger, more powerful, and a little bit faster. Yeah. Full Saiyan power next week. All right, guys, thank you for joining us. If you have any questions about this podcast or anything we talked about today, remember you can write to us at questions at cryptosafari.us. And next week we will answer your listener questions as well as present two more tasty tokens for you. So until next time, keep your, uh, your Tezos baking and your harmony. Harmonious. Harmonious. All Thanks right. for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.